This is going to be interesting, Diane. Why? <clears throat> because we're interesting people. I think if, you know, if you really think about it, if you analyze the uh, stuff and substance of our daily interactions, you'd have to say that, you know, we pick some interesting topics to talk about. Uh, we talk about other people behind their backs in, you know, really malicious ways. <laughs> and to try to tear them down so that, to make ourselves feel better. <laughs> and, <laughs> what, are, and, what are you talking uh, about? Uh, and we continue to say things like, it's 8.40 a.m. Saturday, November the 27th, 2021. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane Show. <laughs> yeah. No, I was just getting around there at the front. Well, you better have been. Well, of course I was just getting around there at the front. I was just trying to say something, you know. To uh, make me laugh. Yeah, off-center. Something to kind of establish the unbalanced nature of our existence. Yeah. Well, there you go. So the, the candles are lit. We got the, that good Saturday morning smell. You know, you remember being at your grandparents' house and waking up and smelling like pancakes and coffee or sausage or bacon or something. It's something decadent, of course, something, you know. <laughs> but you had there was that smell that was already in the house when you woke up in the morning and and you knew that this was your future and it was just wonderful. I had that at my parents' house. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have it as often at my parents' house, but man, my my, my mom, dad used to make uh, buttermilk pancakes on Sundays. Oh, my grandfather used to make waffles and sausage. Oh. Waffles and link sausage, and man, I think by the time I was. 10 or 11 he was buying an entire extra package of link sausage because i i had to have more so, <laughs> uh, so you're saying that the the candle smell makes you feel like yeah, it's one of those kind of smells that if you but i don't wake up to it necessarily but i smell it upstairs before i come down and it's kind of one of those kind of triggery kind of things it denotes uh there's a good conversation about to happen, you know. I hope. <laughs> but first, I have to come up with something really off, off weird, something to say. Hey, Diane. I was thinking when I was upstairs. It's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine. <laughs> As per usual, we had the, um, we had the whole holiday thing, which was an adventure in living and an absolute joy of an experience. Um, we lost Robert Bly this week, which resonates in my life uh, fairly profoundly, although, you know, he was 94 years old. And yeah. I figure anybody who makes it to their 90s, you know, they've had a good run. Oh, man, yes. Yeah. And uh, I'm and not I don't sure I even want, I am even interested in making it to my 90s. I was going to say, I but think a lot of people would... Check do back wish with to be... me in my 80s, and yeah. I'll let you know. But. but I do think a lot of people wish, yeah, I'd like to. Yeah. I, well, an ongoing conversation with, between me and my sister is about how, you know, great, science has figured out how to extend life. What they got to figure out is how to extend the 40s. Because the 40s is when I started feeling like I actually was getting a handle on a few things. And started to feel that kind of agency in my life. And it was a very tumultuous time. I could have used another 20 years 
in my 40s. I got myself a cup of coffee here, and I'm going to take me a sip. To kind of get some things done, to get some personal things done. Yeah, ham and eggs. You know, that's the part of life they need to learn how to extend. I think the 20s would be useless, uh, and even the 30s would be, you know, the 30s, yeah, there's a lot of self-reflection. You're kind of waking up to things, but 40s is when you start to get a few things accomplished. That is absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. So that's what they got to figure out how to do, in my mind. And who is the infamous they in this situation? The people who are responsible for making people live so long in decrepitude. Pardon me, I'm going to have another drink of coffee. So that the medical industrial complex can continue to break into big bucks. That's good coffee. And the pharmaceutical companies have something to do and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I appreciate... Wow, that was... was, uh, major tangent there sorry tangential yes i uh i share your feelings about robert bly uh he did not have a powerful impact on me until i watched the the video by Haydn reese that um really introduced me to him in a much different way than i had been introduced the literary friendship with william stafford that's that's a major kind of key into uh, who Robert Bly is as a facilitator on the planet, as well as a poet. Yeah. So, blessings upon ye, Robert Bly. Yep. But I would love to talk about our Thanksgiving adventure. Man, oh man. Because what a... I mean, as we were driving away from our Thanksgiving holiday with Alice as a passenger in yes. the back of our car... We were all saying that was just like the most perfect Thanksgiving it was. because it it had almost everything represented. I was thinking about we were talking about it yesterday. It would be like a it made it would be like a TV movie because there was <laughs> yeah. just so many weird scenes that were happening in it that just seemed like wow, how did these people get to this place to where they're standing in this. I mean, there was just a moment in my life that day where I was just like, how did this happen? (laughs) Well, may I first preface it by saying that in my family, when I was growing up, I was not a real fan of Thanksgiving. And the reason why I wasn't is because uh, we were uh, far away from our relatives and my parents didn't have friends over they still wanted to do sort of a formal Thanksgiving spread. And so they would get out the china and the silver and the crystal. crystal. We'd have to dress up for our family that we were always around all the time. Was there church involved too? No, not no a, church okay, involved a, on Thanksgiving. Okay. But uh, I, I actually think that my brother and I... Um, <laughs> decided from that point that we did not want to be formal people because (laughs) first of all we didn't like all the washing of the dishes that we had to do by hand you know and and also there's just this feeling of expectation i had a wonderful conversation with my brother yesterday and we were talking about many wondrous things but this was one of them that 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 sense that there was an expectation involved with Thanksgiving. Right. And so when I was telling my brother about uh, our Thanksgiving this year, I was saying how it really was 
the most wonderful thing about it is that even if we had expectations, it would have defied all those expectations. Yeah. And it showed that the the food, the the spread, how beautiful it is, means nothing. Yeah. What really means everything is the intimacy of the people. Right. And so we shall begin by saying, going out, or when we were driving down to your mom's house, it was a, we were going to pick Alice up. We did so. Wonderful drive down, even though it was raining pretty heavily. And we got in the usual bottleneck around Tacoma. But we were enjoying our conversation with Alice so much. She's so animated and, and, uh, so interesting and so we interested and interested interesting we were having amazing conversations even before we got to your mom's house it's true we get to your mom's house and everything seems like it's proceeding as usual at that point right yeah yeah my my sister showed up and then my sister's kids showed up so there was uh, my mom and my sister and my sister's uh, sons, TJ and Andy, Alice, my daughter, and you and me. That was the group. So we all were having our separate conversations. And one of the things I love about your Thanksgiving dinners that I have always experienced, and I don't know whether it's true for the person who lives in the family as much as somebody who has something to contrast it with, but uh-huh. because the the events have always been informal and I were able to just be dressed in whatever is comfortable for us. And there's no feeling of show Mm -hmm. about it at all. Um, We were just chatting in different Historically, I must say, my mom liked to put out a good spread too. You know, she had her own version of a good spread, which included uh, China and silver. Right. And a lot of cleanup afterwards that we would always help out with. Yeah, but even when you're, when your mom has done the beautiful spread, when we are there, it's still informal. Yeah, in it's not way. like you're expected to dress up or right. anything like that. Yeah, I agree. But when I was a kid, yeah, we had those more formal things. I don't think we did it as much if we didn't have relatives coming over. And I don't think there was the dressing up part. I don't remember the dressing up part around our Thanksgiving table. A lot of times, if that's why I was thinking, if there was church involved, then we would have dressed up for church and then maybe stayed in our formal attire for uh, for the dinner. But anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted the story. Oh no! And it's a We're long, just... involved story. It is a it is a multi-layered kind of you know, like I said, it's a TV movie. So we're all chatting in our separate groups. Um, Great conversations with my sister's yeah. sons. Uh, who seemed to be coming into their adulthood in a kind of a, in a way that made it a lot more lively conversation, I felt like, a lot more interactive. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was doing anything different, but maybe I was. I don't know. I, I, was, don't know. I was drinking scotch at the time, too, so that, yeah. that probably loosened me up a little bit. I've been having enough pain to where if I have a drink or two, I feel a lot better for a while. Well, I think that those conversations... You know, there were just just different configurations of people, which yeah. I always love about getting a group of family together and having 
you know, some people are talking over here and some people over here and some people over here. And um, so it's always breaking up into smaller groups and and then shifting in configuration Mm -hmm. during the whole time. Mm -hmm. But uh, and it's true that having uh, everyone in the, the room was adult now. Yeah. And that is a transformation in itself, right? Yeah. But um, certainly there was far more intimacy in the conversations than there ever had been. And I think that that was partially also because of everyone being an adult. And so um, we all were getting prepared to... Yeah, the plan was to go up to Bendu's, which is a restaurant that has been part of my family since I was a little kid. It's the little place that we used to go to with my grandparents, my mother's folks, a lot. And we'd go there for like birthday dinners and stuff like that. It was a, it was a, fi- not a fine dining establishment, no. but a you know at, the, at when I was a kid, it felt like kind of an upscale, family restaurant. Yeah. Sort of thing. You know, a lot like the pancake houses that you and I go to. We call it the diner. But it, so it had a cafe side and a dining room side and a bar in the back. And there's a big table in front of the fireplace that's set on a wagon wheel. And, you know, so it's kind of rustic uh, intentionally. And, you know, and, and anyway, it's been sitting there on 6th Avenue in Tacoma ever since I was a little kid. So that's part of what the, the, the attraction is for Ben Dews in my family. So we had, my mom had called us up and, and announced to us that we would all be having to Thanksgiving dinner together at, uh, with her and that she had already made the reservation at Ben Dews. So this is what was going to happen, and we were all like, okay. And we, we knew that um, we've been there before, I think oh, yeah. for at least one Thanksgiving. Yes. So we kind of knew what mm. the drill was, or we thought we knew, yeah, we knew what, what was going to be expected. So... After a, an incredibly enjoyable, just conversational time, uh, we decided to get prepared to go. Yeah, well, we had a reservation yeah. at 4.30 for Bendu's. And if you, if you don't mind my saying, do you mind my saying, you could cut this out if you don't want me to say, that you had drunk a bit. So yeah. I was a little worried about... Um, she was worried about my driving. About his driving, but... Because it was raining pretty hard outside. It was a sloppy. It was a sloppy day. Northwest day. But we get in the car with Alice, and she starts telling us all of these wonderful conversations that she had had with with TJ and Andy, and it was sort of like the conversations that were ha- happening in the smaller group were getting shared with other people in the group. Just yeah. did you know about this? And yeah. I was just quite fascinated but i'm a little on edge because i'm I'm feeling like i hope that everything's okay driving over and and it was uh and then we get into ben dues we're all masked up oh well before we even get there the parking lot is absolutely jam-packed which has never happened when we've been there i thought there must be some other event going on in some other place in in that shopping area or something like that that was causing the parking lot to be so full because I just it just didn't look like what I'd expect of Ben Dews. And Bill and Alice and I get masked up. We walk over to the uh, the 
the way that the Bendus is set up, they have a long hallway, fairly narrow. There's a like an anteroom that where you check in at the front desk. It's kind of like the 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 uh, Mater D kind of. They have a desk there at the front where people check in and check out. Alice goes to the the uh, hostess desk, but as we as Bill and I enter. We see Alice way in front, and there are rows of people. Yeah, it's like a crush of, of human bodies in this narrow hallway. Uh, it was probably, in what, 30 feet from the second door to the desk, and that, that area was just jammed shoulder to shoulder with people. There were people coming in, there were people going out. Apparently there were people there waiting to pick up food, which was something new and different. Not everyone was masked, and it was extremely frightening right away. You know, it was just like, wait a minute. <laughs> and I'm seeing my daughter way up in the front, up by the desk, and just getting to her was going to be a thing. And, I, and then you, did you come up to me, and somebody came up to me and say, Mom doesn't have a mask. I did when you came out, because oh, yeah, your I, mom hadn't even arrived yet. That's but. right, that's right. I just kind of hung back. I didn't want to go into the throng. Uh, I felt very unsafe. I mean, we're in a pandemic. Even though we were vaccinated, I didn't want to be exposed. And, you know, so I was vaccinated, but we're not boosted yet. Yeah. It's, you know, that. But, But that's why I say, I mean, like, there were thrills and chills for me. I mean, I was really frightened at that moment. I was thinking, oh, my gosh. This is not good. Yeah. Then your mom comes in. She she's searching around her purse. She's not in the the uh, room. She's still in the out, outer part of this hallway. And she says, "Oh, I can't find a mask." And she was getting more and more frantic, looking through her purse. And I came in, said, "Your mom doesn't have a mask." And you went out to get her a mask from our car because we have extras. And then, uh, in the meantime. Alice is still in line. We're thinking, oh my gosh. And I just went up to you and said, Bill, I'm going to stand outside until things calm down. Things calm down because I was getting more and more panicked, actually. I mean, not even, uh, I was feeling panicked. Right. And my mom was looking uh, frail and kind of scared, too. So I went back inside, right? Right. And made my way to Alice, who was kind of coming back towards me by that time. And she said it was going to be like a 45-minute wait. And I just said, this isn't going to work. Yeah. This is not going to work. And she's like, yeah. So. So that was the interesting thing is that Alice, I think, was the one who, that you told me, you came out and said, Alice has said that we're not going to wait. And I was so relieved. I mean, I just thought, oh, thank, thank you, thank you. Because I didn't feel that I could make a call like that, but I really didn't want to stay there. It was a weird scene because if you because there's a window on the right side of that hallway where everybody was crushed in there. And if you looked through the window, you saw the restaurant, and it looked perfectly calm and okay in there. And there was a big round table in the center that had nobody sitting at it. And I was kind of like, well, so what is what is going on here? It was just an odd thing because we've been to this restaurant enough time to know that, yeah, sometimes there's people coming and going, right. but never this just crowd all kind of pressed together. So funny. 
to where you feel like you're jockeying through a crowd at a rock concert or something. You know, it's like, well, wait a minute. And one of those rock concerts where you're going to be stampeded and crushed well, into the ground. You know, not necessarily. Well, I mean, it certainly just not, felt not the kind threatening. of threatening. Yeah. And I have not been in a crush of human bodies in some years now. Exactly. I don't think any of us have, you know, or many of us have not. So it was an odd sensation and something that I was uncomfortable with immediately. And I was like, I'm going to get my kid out of there, you know, kind of thing. That's why I went back in. I was like, well, we got to get Alice out of there. And so anyway, and I don't, I know that we were going to go back to mom's house, but I don't remember the point at which the kids, what we, who we call the kids, the adults, the young ones, took a hold of the situation. Oh, they took a hold of it right away. I well, remember I mean, I, it quite okay, well. Okay, well, you tell that part of the story. Because, because you came was... out and said, Alice says we, we should not wait. Yeah. That there's a 45-minute wait, at least. Yeah. There were people who had been waiting there for 45 minutes for their their table, and they still had not been seated. So, so then Alice came out, and she instantly took charge of the situation. She kind of, after everybody was out in in the parking lot area she said okay we're not going to we're not going to stay here so we've we've got to get some food um who has cash in here and you had two (laughs) dollars i had a 10 and then all of a sudden i remembered oh i always keep a secret 20 so i i threw my cash in um i think all of us threw in some cash and and the and Allison, TJ, and Andy just said, we're going to take care of getting the food. You guys go home, and we'll meet you back there. We'll meet you back there. And, and Alice said, any particular requests? We just said food. We don't care. <laughs> you know, don't, don't worry about any kind of food or just food. So we went back, and then we started up our wonderful conversations again. Right. Um, and then the young people came and they had gotten this glorious what would be like a traditional thanksgiving dinner although it was all kind of cobbled together it was chicken instead of turkey it was all pre-made stuff but mashed potatoes stuffing gravy green green beans beans, and a pumpkin pie and and they went to immediately and started fixing it and and I think at one point, Mug got up and you said, just let the young people do it. Yeah. Just sit down. Yeah, and it was this moment for me, and I think for my sister and probably for you, where it was suddenly we became aware of the fact that we're the old people now. And, you know, the, what, what, those, what those young people executed is something that I remember doing myself at that age, where something goes haywire in a situation the old people start to look a little confused. <laughs> and I'm sure I must have looked quite confused at several points during that, that uh, Ben Du's uh, chapter. And the, the young people just say, okay, it's time for us to do this, you know. And they just do it. And however it turns out, it turns out to be the best thing ever, you know. I don't know who, uh, who it was who said something about paper plates, but we ended up eating our Thanksgiving dinner off of paper plates and it was just magnificent. It was absolutely magnificent. And everybody was sitting together, and it was a group of adults just yakking about whatever, and it was a great conversation, and I felt wonderful. It was very fulfilling. 
But it really just was such a show to me of the fact that what the the gathering is about is the people. It's never about, you know, the food is wonderful. Yeah. But and I think about that. You were saying the other day about the quality of the conversation that was that w- that happened as a result of not going to this restaurant because you know you're in a restaurant, it affects the quality of the conversation you're going to have. If everybody's sitting around a big round table and you're you can't you know, quite hear. Yeah, it's a whole different. You've changed environments, so the whole texture of the encounter is changed by virtue of that. We were able to maintain the kind of the you know, intimacy that we had established before we left for the restaurant. Plus, we had this new shared adventure that kind of was a bonding agent in the, in that, around that day. So it was, uh, it was just great. And I'm just so grateful uh, that somebody else stepped up, you know, because I, my immediate response in situations like that was, okay, I got to, how do I fix this situation? You know, those are the thoughts I was having at Ben Dues. It was not about, you know, the immediacy. Okay, we're not staying. So what are we going to do? How is it going to happen? I have two dollars. You know, that's okay. I've got I've got my debit card and stuff like that. And we can. And I was making those kind of plans. And then when it became clear that the young people were going to do it, I was just kind of like, Oh my God, I don't have to do it. Well, I was glad I had any cash. I yeah. don't carry cash around. With yeah, me I don't very either. I don't either. That's why I only had two bucks. So. I was lucky to have that in my pocket because I don't usually carry cash at all. But anyway, it was a great Thanksgiving. It was a great Thanksgiving. And then we had the thrills and chills of driving home because, oh, it was a sloppy, sloppy night. Yeah, but it was fun. But anyway, I think that the the various points of panic and fear actually added to the experience. Yeah. And... I just think that that is why it's so important uh, to be flexible and allow life to take you where it is and it's going rather than having expectations of what you think it should be. Yeah. So, but we all agreed that it was a, definitely a Thanksgiving for the... One for the the, record books, one for the family history books. One for the family history books. Oh my and then gosh. The other thing is that you've been working on this article. Yeah. Which has turned out to be less work than you thought. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we, uh, Diane and I had a Zoom uh, meetup with our friend Jim Page. And because Diane wanted to write an article for the Ancient Victories publication about Jim's first album, uh, which is called A Shot of the Usual, which came out in probably early 1976, although it's. You know, it says copyright 1975 on the on the album jacket. I've always argued with Jim about what year that came out, because I probably I, I've always said I got that album in 1975 when it came out, but it came out in like December of 75. So yeah. Anyway, that's not the point. But we had a, a really nice conversation with Jim about that album, and uh, I think you can take it from here. Oh, I uh, usually when I write. I've been writing this first album series for a while and I really enjoy it because it came from a an inspiration out of an unexpected source but I have found that when you talk to people many many years after their first album about their first album they can tell you a lot of the details of that first album because it 
was a big deal in their lives. And, uh, and I always have liked the jumping off place for people where they jump off into new endeavors. And I, I like that moment in time. And, uh, for most of the articles that I've written, I will interview the person and sort of write a little bit of their history and, and litter it with many, many quotes, uh, from what I have done in the interview. But I already knew, even going in to the interview with Jim, that he is a storyteller and that that I would likely not have to do the kind of splicing together of a bunch of uh, quotes with the story that I write. I thought, I think I'll just be able to have him tell the story you just and I'll transcribe just, his words and, and I'll transcribe it. Yeah. And that is exactly what happened. Um, and I still thought I might have to do some writing of it because this is the weekend traditionally that I do the layout for the ancient victories publication. And so I reserved yesterday, Friday for writing. I had already transcribed most of the, the interview and then I, when I listened to the interview and read my transcription and then just read my transcription alone, I thought, nope, don't have to do really any writing. You know, it's a little bit of uh, it, what you do you, is you, you edit you, you clean along the way, yeah, you, you know, you just edit. But the I wanted to use Jim's words because Jim has a very unique voice that I don't want to take over and, and try to represent. I just wanted him to represent his story. And it was quite a remarkable story. I had not known it, and I'm not going to give it away because the article's coming out. Yeah. And then you can read all about it. But um, I think there were a lot of unexpected uh, revelations from that interview for me. And I just... I do so enjoy um, listening to people talk about their endeavors and their creativity and who they were involved with and how it all came to be, because it's always a group effort, no matter if it's a single artist, it's always a group effort to put out the, the album. And hearing the people that were involved and hearing the stories of how those people made it happen it's just a joy. Yeah. So we thought, because of that, that we would do a shot of the usual. You know, a couple of songs. A couple of songs. Shot of the usual. And uh, we've got some introductory footage from the interview for these two songs. So we're going to do we're going to do an old pair of shoes. Yeah. And the song a shot of the usual, right? Exactly. And it'll be a little different because we're going to have Jim introducing his own songs. And what about an old pair of shoes, Jim? Ooh. Now, that was a concept thing. That was a feeling thing. That was a feeling thing. That was a New York City song. Uh, living up in the Brownstone on 23rd Street, 22nd Street, 22nd Street, 22nd Street. And uh, I would get up. We would get up like at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, and then, you know, go out and go to Folk City and do this stuff and I'd be playing all the places and then get back to the place and go to sleep about dawn. 
it was upside down, right? Because it's New York. That's what we did. And uh, and I would go for these long walks. And I was out, went out for a long walk. I'm trying to remember whether I was living in the brownstone yet. I think so. I think so. So I went out for a long walk. And I wound up down along the uh, dock side on the west side. And I don't know what time it was, <clears throat> three in the morning, something like that. There was more than anybody around. And, you know, you just kind of get this feeling, this expansive, dreamlike, magical feeling. It's like, I want to do that. And I always loved that song, Norwegian Wood. I loved that song. You know, Me it's too. a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah. And there's something in that yeah. that I took and I used that, but I'm not the Beatles, and I don't live in—I'm not from Liverpool, and I don't know uh, whatever the—I don't know any of that stuff. So it's me. But I used that little kernel of whatever it was, and I, I didn't have anything to write on. I had a pencil, I think, or a pen or something. But I found a paper bag, and I wrote on the paper bag until—and I knew enough to know that if you suggested correctly you could say more than if you were specific so that's what i did and i, I suggested magic and i suggested uh redemption and i suggested life choices and i suggested being lost and being found and they're all in that song you know and i suggested romance and i suggested the finding and the loss of love and all that stuff all that it's all in there and it's weird little Wait, it's only four verses. <laughs> I met a young girl who sat on a step I saw her quite clearly, quite early one night I spoke the first words that came to my head She sealed my fate when she answered all right younger than I and I asked her how many like me she had seen I never counted she said with a grin I looked at my hand said I see what you mean
cease to part with your hand and many fine roads if you know how to choose to some it's a chance at the axe of the queen but to one it's a name on an old pair of shoes of the usual is a family that I used to hang out with. Yeah, the Toros. Yeah. Jesse was a buddy of mine. His older brother, Joe. Little brother, Dave. Sylvia. Blanche. Rita. All of them. You know, fat, old man Joe was a boxing promoter. You know, I, I, big brother Joe was a bouncer at the Fresh Air Tavern. And he had I went in there one night and he says, Jimmy, he says, Jimmy, I want you to sing a song about Jesse Toro. He's my brother, my little brother. He's here tonight. Jesse Toro, like a bull, Toro. <laughs> okay, so I went up on stage. It was the fresh air was a rough kind of place, right? So I went up on stage and I did this song about, you know, Jesse Toro is a friend of mine. I ain't seen him in a very long time. And that's what I remember singing, you know, whatever. And I get down, I'm passing my hat around and I, I get over in this corner and this little short guy, Jesse was about five foot four, you know, five foot three. Stan's buddy was strong because he was a boxer. Stood up. He was wearing a red, white, and blue fringed leather vest, motorcycle boots. And he stood up. He said, had huge hands, biggest hands you ever saw in your life. He said, hey, I'm Jesse Toro. What are you singing about me? What are you singing about me? And I said, I've known you for years, Jesse. You just didn't know I knew you. <laughs> and I walked off and he looked at me. And from that day on, he treated me like he'd known me for years. <laughs> and we became friends. He was part of a little motorcycle club called the Third Rail. And we'd go, we'd go up to the uh, Iron Lords motorcycle parties out there in the Bury and Log Hall. Things that went on all night long. Oh, my God. Oh my God! It was it, anyway. Everybody is. I thought I'm going to write a story about these people. So a song about these people. So they're all in there. The beginning, the first verse, is just because it was a cold winter, and the last verse was actually something that I I saw when I came to Seattle for the uh, early on in '71. I went downtown, out down where the old OK, OK Hotel was used to be, yeah. right? And there was a bunch of cops around there and ambulance and stuff and and i you know i kind of walked up to what happened and, and i found out that some some old guy some tramp has been like cut in half by a railroad train ran right over wow. so it's like so that's how it ends and it starts with you know it was pretty near cold it was blah blah blah, blah. and then everybody's in there Pretty near cold, it was 18 degrees The door done froze, hope the pipes don't freeze 
Lonesome Coyote growled way off on a rise Where the iceberg winter hit me right between the eyes And the old timers told that it wasn't all that cold As they stoked the coal stove worth its weight in solid gold They do what they do and it's all so very strange Take a shot of the usual if you're looking for a change The cannibal troop ships docked up real slow To the longshore dock that belonged to Brother Joe While in the fat black limousine the banker and the toad Made plans for the future as they watched the ships unload And the watchtower spies with their telescopic eyes Made sure everything was legal so that no one would get wise They do what they do and it's all so very strange Take a shot of the usual if you're looking for a change. Ramblin' Dave got busted and they throwed him in jail Where they spent all his money and they opened all his mail And the Flatfoot Partners on the downtown beat Carved another notch and went off down the street And the stool pigeon swore as he crawled across the floor you may think it's over, but I think there's more. They do what they do, and it's all so very strange. Take a shot of the usual if you're looking for a change. In the lobotomy factory on the midnight shift, there sat Sylvia by the dead weight lift, staring holes through the plaster of the company walls. While the old vulture women made up stories in the hall And the roll caller came calling everyone by name Rearranging faces till they all turned out the same They do what they do and it's all so very strange Take a shot of the usual if you're looking for a change their lives watched Matt the brainchild practice throwing knives at a sullen-eyed motorcycle heavy with a beard who rolled over sideways and then just as he peered and the radio moaned like a dog without no bone as the slow smoke rose around the no-smoking zone they do what they do and it's all so very strange take a shot of the usual if you're looking for a change The lynch mob posse played a dangerous game With their bloodhound noses on the trail of Jesse James Who came and went like a vanishing ghost Slipping in and out of handcuffs all up and down the coast And the victims all got wise how to be better victimized Painting bull's eye targets right between their eyes They do what they do and it's all so very strange Take a shot of the usual if you're looking for a change. In the family reunion hall where hangs the family creed, no one said a word and no one disagreed. And the 
the mother and the father with the baby in their arms saw only what they wanted to see so they would not be alarmed and the time ran dry at twelve o'clock high they knotted up their collars and they left without their ties they do what they do and it's all so very strange take a shot of the usual if you're looking for a change Thought about himself like a dog without a tail As he bed down in the cinders Put his head up on the rail And the 409, way behind time Never knew a thing until they read the headlines They do what they do And it's all so very strange Take a shot of the usual If you're looking for a change 